Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Graduate, starring Anne Bancroft. Dustin Hoffman, Catherine Ross, directed by Mike Nichols. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films as we unveil film two in the cask, Love is Spelled with an X, and we are going to be talking about the seminal classic from 1967, The Graduate. I think a film that is uh, spoken to us in many different ways, man. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's one of those films that for me in college taught me to recognize cinema versus film differently. Mm-hmm. Um, life-changing would be an understatement. Definitely. Yeah. So today, actually, you know, I posted this week on Instagram uh, the Duncan Taylor bottle, but this bottle came into our, our possession now. This is actually Bib and Tucker Small Batch Bourbon. Beautiful. And yeah, I've never had this, so let's let's open this up. Pour one for you first, Matt. Thank you, sir. Oh, nice color. Yeah. Yeah, give that a go and see what we got there. Okay, we dive in. Here we go. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Let me see this. It's a unique bottle too. Bib and Tucker. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, that's got a nice taste both beginning and after. Almost kind of like notes of like corn in there or something. It's yeah. I noticed going to say the same thing. It is a little hearty at the beginning versus like spicy right yeah. and mm-hmm. then it's got that middle area that's nice and flat and smooth and then it's got a little bit of heat on the back end yeah that's nice that is nice excellent good job jesse that was a good pick yeah we haven't you're right we haven't had like a bad bourbon but i don't know if i want to drink rock gut bourbon on this show so that might be fun you know what we might want to consider with that yeah is have the listeners do like the like by listener's choice the three <laughs> worst films yeah and we'll drink bad bourbon and do it at the same time. Oh gosh. Wouldn't yeah. that be fun? Yeah. Kind of like kind of like podcasting hell. But that could be a nice change of pace here. Get Mono's Hands of Fate, Plan 9 from Outer Space in the room and we'll drink oh some um, I don't know whatever's filtered through a pair of my grandma's pantyhose and oh call it good. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd yeah, be fun, wouldn't it? I think so. So um before we get uh started with today's episode, we got a bunch of fun stuff we're going to talk about today. I want to uh highlight uh Mr. Brett R who um in response to our best use of a song in a film, I thought he had some pretty interesting choices. One of them that he uh chose and it was actually a song written for the film. We both realized this. Uh, it's uh from the film 8 Mile Lose Yourself by Eminem which you know, if you ever hear that song, come on, like, I don't know how you, like, don't get kind of, like, pumped up to, like, whether you're an athlete or, you know, you're at the gym or you're going on a run, you kind of hear that, like, that, that those beats start pumping up. And, yeah, I think that that's kind of, like, a cool, for, for the film written choice. Academy Award winning film, too. It's funny when you put it in that context about pump-up music, because yeah. when I was coaching basketball, yeah, there was a school that would remain unnamed that would use that. Mm-hmm. And their pump jam before the game, like lose yourself. Yeah, that's pretty. It's crazy cool. that you said that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's got uh, it's a pretty fantastic song. Mm-hmm. And that's not my that's not my jam either, but mm-hmm. it's a fantastic fantastic song. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then we also had a, a Johnny Be Good from Back to the Future, which that's such an iconic sequence of Michael J. Fox, you know, taking over for uh, the band mate, and then 
It's your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Barry. You need to listen to this. Yeah, so like them playing fast and loose with like how how um how time worked, but I think those are two really, really unique options. So thank you for the response, Brett. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Excellent. So for the flight this week, we're gonna do an interesting flight of sorts in that um we're Matt and I are gonna be engaging in a bit of a contest. And we're gonna give you our answers now and this is something we're going to have to come back to probably the middle to end of august to kind of see who's the rightful winner of this contest so matt we're smack dab in the peak of the summer movie season we could argue that avengers endgame kind of started that but for me it's always been that first week of may so detective pikachu and then you had john wick three uh we got a bunch of stuff coming out this summer so matt what do you think are going to be the top five highest-grossing films of the summer, from five down to number one? In order? Yeah, give them, give them all to me. Um, okay, so we're not including Endgame. Correct. Yeah, I think that's an unfair. Okay, so I think that new Annabelle film is going to check in at five. I think Yesterday will check in at four. I think John Wick will be three. I think two will be Godzilla, and I think the new Spider-Man flick will be number one. Okay. Those are my five. Interesting. Any any reasonings behind, like... Horror, to me, has to be in there, mm-hmm. just because in the summer, people have time on their hands, and we know how loyal the horror-going audience oh, def- is. Definitely. I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe jumps to a little higher position than what sure. uh, I'm giving it. Mm-hmm. I think the Yesterday film is one that might be a little bit sleepy, and... But once the word gets out on that, yeah, this is tough though because the other one that has a fringy for me is yeah. Rocket Man. Yeah, and I will say Hollywood is a copycat industry. Yeah, we all know what Bohemian Rhapsody did. Mm-hmm. This is with a way better musician mm-hmm. and way better music, in my opinion. And you, everybody out there, I am ready for this. I am not a Queen fan. You actually know one. Yeah, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy. I don't like Queen, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I think that that could be close. Look, Godzilla is going to be. Big, even yeah. if it's terrible, because it's going to open huge. Yeah, and everybody that's into the Avengers in-game mm-hmm. story, yeah. so they're going to see Spider-Man, and especially if you've seen that second trailer with what they're teasing mm-hmm. and Mysterio's role as possibly—can I say it? I sure. Mean, yeah, the, the new Iron Man, or yeah. poss- a possibility of being another dimensions Iron Man, yeah. possibly. Yeah, I think people are going to flock to that. So that's going to win the summer. There's no doubt in my mind that'll win the summer. Okay. Um, I don't know. Those are my five. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's um, yeah. I have a, I have um, some of those on my list. Yeah, if if Rocket Man could do Bohemian Rhapsody numbers in the middle of the summer, don't you yeah, think it's a better release date to do those numbers though? Possibly. Yeah, we'll kind of have to see if like how June plays out for that film. And word of mouth certainly helps any of these movies play. Was it Bohemian Rhapsody like a February March release? No, it was November. Oh shit, November. Yeah. Okay. Again, I don't understand why people don't release movies in the fall because it's such a great time. There's nothing else out. Like That movie would have cleaned house times two yep. if they had done it in February March. That's officially called the dead zone. Yeah. Right? The post-Oscar season, nobody's putting out anything good except for another Liam, v- Liam Neeson action vehicle. Yeah, another Liam Neeson. I stole my fa- uh, they stole my family vehicle. All right, I don't want to interrupt you. I'll let you go. All right, no, number ex- five. Yeah, excellent. On. I, was, I was trying to be as strategic as possible with my choices. So my number five is actually The Secret Life of Pets 2. I didn't see The Secret Life of Pets 1, but I tried to include some family-friendly films. You know, it's a time kids are off, you know, that they go to the movies. 
Um, so I, I kind of think that one's going to be at number five. A close second, and I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes like a sneaky little hit just based on how the trailer played, but Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the Guillermo del Toro produced anthology based on the children's book, Do I dare I say, kind of has some buzz behind it. And if I'm picking a horror that might sneak in, it, it, I think it, I'm picking that one. Uh, at number four, this looks like maybe the worst movie of the summer, maybe of the year, but... It's Aladdin. I do not know what to expect from from such a film, but I'm bracing myself for for what that could be. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's finish your list. Number three, I kind of forgot this was coming out. I kind of thought the series ended perfectly, and this seems like a tacked-on thing. But man, Pixar does play in the summer, and that's going to be Toy Story 4. Okay, i got to ask you a question on that. Yeah. Is that officially a summer release? When is the release date on that? June... uh, Oh, shit. Yeah, 15th. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. No, that's... That probably is going to boot my Annabelle too, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, number two, um, I have Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to get a bit of an endgame booster that the oh, hype yeah. of that one's going to kind of pr- propel it into the 400-ish million range. Sure. Uh, and then at number one, I have, uh, I it's the middle of July, I think July 15th or 13th, The Lion King. Only because of any of these live action films that they've dabbled with and the one that maybe I enjoyed the most as a kid was this one. And they're using a photorealistic CGI approach. It's essentially the same movie with similar voice actors and and new people coming in, Donald Glover and Beyonce. But I think there's The Lion King has such a built-in audience, I could see that one running away with the summer. Man, you really think that's going to usurp Spider-Man? It possibly and Godzilla. And we'll and we'll see cuz Spider-Man comes out 2 weeks before The Lion King. Lion King has the middle of July through August if there's nothing really coming out other than a Tarantino vehicle. I don't know, we'll see. Interesting that that didn't make either one of our lists because he's box office gold. But here's the problem. Yeah. I feel like that movie is either strategically or ignoramously. Yeah underhyped right now yeah that movie's really late to the party isn't it yeah and but I, that's I, all is that what's that july 20 late july yeah 20, so 26th or something i think it'll pick up some buzz here as we get closer to it we're still still a bit of a ways away but no yeah you're right his films do play well box office especially in glorious and uh, Django were some of his biggest money makers so and that feels like to me a lot of summer success mm-hmm. isn't the feel mm-hmm. of it yeah it feels like a summer movie yeah it, it's it's the feel it's the timing and then right. yeah of word of mouth of course you know if we leave a movie and you're like jesse that movie was absolute garbage i'm probably not gonna go see it unless i had planned to see it already but if matt I, if i come out of the movie i'm like man you gotta go see that like it's a must see in the theater like that helps propel a movie's longevity which we've had conversations at nauseum about how kind of stupid the summer movie season is because studios make these 200 million dollar films and release them one week after the other like there's no room to like expand right go to february go to september go to november like go to where there's not like stuff coming out well it does get into that is you have a two month eh, maybe not two months but like a six to eight week period Mm -hmm. that's the dead zone why wouldn't you take advantage of that i mean deadpool did that really really well yeah. deadpool one did that really really mm-hmm. well February. and for all of the greatness of the black panther mm-hmm. it also monetized February. two months brother mm-hmm. two months of nothing no competition yeah so look at this aladdin comes out next friday it has one week because then godzilla and Rocketman come out like that's insane like, that's there's no room to grow it's weird that those two are released on the same weekend mm-hmm. and you know godzilla was one for me that 
ah, am I going to put that in there? And I decided to roll the dice a little bit. Rocket Man could cannibalize that. Because let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. You can see one movie that weekend. Which of those two are you going to see? First, I personally, I would see Godzilla because I'm a Godzilla guy. But barely, right? But barely, yeah. I kind of, I might see both of them that weekend. <laughs> Here's the one thing that Rocket Man doesn't have working for it. Yeah, it's not going to be family friendly. Oh no, fair. Yeah. yeah, right. This is the real story of Elton John, mm-hmm. not the watered down version of Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. The real true story. Yeah. So I don't think mom, dad, brother, and little sister who's seven are going to be sitting down for that film. I want to go to Rocket Man. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Who's going to see Rocket Man? You and me. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm with you. Yeah. Godzilla probably Friday night and mm-hmm. maybe Rocket Man Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon or maybe the day. Yeah. I'm going to cannibalize each other that weekend. I'm still going to go with Godzilla as yeah. my number two, though. And you wanted to say something about Aladdin, too. What was that? Okay, so that made your list, right? Oh, so before I do this. Only because of the built-in audience of that nostalgia. Yeah. And I want to say something about this real quick. Walt Disney, the man, must be rolling around in his grave or his frozen cryogenic tube, like whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> however he ended up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he built such an empire on animation that was such, it was built on such innovation, on originality, yeah. kind of spearheaded by the man. And Disney right now is in this weird, horrific funk of repurposing the past in just uh and just a new model yeah and i don't think that's the best way to progress forward as like an innovative animation studio movie making powerhouse right uh that's i know you got your built-in audience and that's like what designates a tentpole film now is if it's a sequel based on a book or a comic book or whatever (laughs) yeah that's the reason they're doing it but i think uh one of these is going to pay the piper i would bet to say it's going to be aladdin I think that my two favorite Disney films are The Jungle Book and Dumbo. Mm-hmm. And I saw the live action version of The Jungle Book and it was okay. Yeah. I was okay with that mm-hmm. film. I did not see Dumbo, kind of like everybody else. <clears throat> yeah. Because that movie did not do well. Absolutely tanked mm-hmm. at the box office. And I'm wondering if the fatigue from the live action animation is something that you considered with Aladdin and or Lion King. Yeah. Because, dude, I mean, I'll, look, we'll probably see Aladdin because I have a little kid in my house. We'll yeah. probably see it. Mm-hmm. I am so lukewarm mm-hmm. on Will Smith. As the genie. As the genie, <laughs> yeah. man. I just, that movie doesn't, I don't know, everything you just said is, is right with yeah, me. Yeah. And as much as I want to see, don't want to see Aladdin, mm-hmm. I actually like that movie more than The Lion King. Mm-hmm. I want to see that even less. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, some interesting choices there. Probably I think, both be wrong. It'll probably be you know something we haven't even mentioned. But I think one thing we're both excited for this summer is kind of the horror output that's going to be coming on with Annabelle uh, 3. Uh, the director of Hereditary has a new film coming out called Midsummer. Mm-hmm. There's a film out coming out called The Lodge. A long gestating remake of Child's Play. Like yep. horror's going to be very active in the next couple months. So yep. that'll be fun to, to discuss, mm-hmm. I'm sure. All right, Matt, so let's let's get to what we're here for. How are you liking that bib and tucker? Oh, that is lovely. Okay, excellent. I'm about to pour myself a little bit more. But let's get right to it. Let's get to what we're here for. Let's get to our review breakdown of The Graduate. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. 
left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still. This is Benjamin. Benjamin Braddock is a little worried about his future. <laughs> We're introduced to the character of Benjamin Braddock, played by Dustin Hoffman, as he's en route from college from the East Coast back to, to sunny California. And I think in one of the most brilliant bits of, uh, uh, of opening sequence uh, choreography is Benjamin's char- uh, character uh, here on this, uh, the, the airport... Uh, Escalator, uh, ri- uh, conveyor belt, conveyor people mover, mo- move, yeah, conveyor people mover, exactly. A scene that's actually homaged in uh, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown with mm-hmm. the lead character Jackie Brown, but expertly played to the sounds of Simon and Garfunkel's "Sound of Silence," and I think it sets the tone of the film immediately. Uh, he's, it's a real melancholy song, but Benjamin's a very melancholy. Uh, character uh, especially you know this postgraduate i want to talk a little bit more about that uh coming up here but what do you think of this opening sequence matt i really like it and what i really like and this is going to be a theme for me that plays out the whole film mm-hmm. is a lot of it is us looking at ben behind glass mm-hmm. so once we get through the people mover and we see him exit the airport and we get the vision exterior airport lobby through glass yeah and then he comes and meets us uh, you're getting a homecoming in effect yeah. for Ben, and you you know that. Like even if you've never seen the film, you know he's coming home. It just feels that way. Yeah. And then it's an interesting point I think to launch a story from. There are certain seminal moments in life that are just rife with with conflict, like your marriage, yeah. uh, your first time, mm-hmm. um, what happens after you've graduated college, yeah. uh, birth of your child. Just certain general collective consciousness that we all mostly share in some regard or another yeah and if you tell a story in that point you already again leaders are like oh here's matt going about conflict again yeah here's matt going about conflict again yeah it's a great starting place Mm -hmm. and this is where we start the film yeah excellent smack dab to this homecoming party that's thrown by his parents one of whom is william daniels who you'll recognize his voice as the voice of uh kit on Knight Rider, but also for that 90s generation audience, he was Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World. So he looks, he's, he was like a 60 or 70 in Boy Meets World. And he's like, I don't know, you got to be in his 40s in this film. Like ageless, ageless man. Really? I know. Yeah. So his parents really want to show off uh, Benjamin's accomplishments. And he was this track star. And it looks like he's going into what, like marine biology or or some type of like scubaing. Like well, that's cur- certainly going to put him in the fish tank, isn't he? Exactly. But they really want to show him off, and Benjamin's just not here for it. He just like wants to stay up in his room and look at through the glass at his fishes. So there's a really interesting moment in that sequence that you just mentioned. Yeah. So Ben comes home from the airport. We close. We open on him in his room, and he's sitting in front of the fish tank, just contemplating life and what i love in the fish tank over his left shoulder jesse mm-hmm. is an oxygen for the fish tank providing scuba diving man mm-hmm. and it's the old school scuba diving suit yeah. like you know military used to use gi like, joe scuba to get the depth charges mm-hmm. out of the water kind mm-hmm. of thing and he's just sitting there and we get a really interesting moment because i think in my opinion mm-hmm. I, I don't i think in my opinion yeah I think that Mike Nichols does a fantastic job yeah. of emphasizing the role of what expectations are going to be. Mm-hmm. 
And the fish tank mm-hmm. is the metaphor for those expectations in this film. Yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of milling around about with 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 the, with with the people that his parents have invited, and he wants nothing to do with it. And clearly, what, there's a party for him, and he's not at the party. Yeah, he's so absent from it; he's so removed from it. And even one of the the, the people even says, "Benjamin, I want to give you a piece of advice. Something you want to look into here. One word: plastics. plastics." Yeah, maybe back then that probably would have been a good venture, but now we're kind of trying to become this plasticless society, so it probably wouldn't be great now. Right. But uh, Ben just has to escape. He just got. He has to get. Every, he runs back up to his room, um, but uh, lo and behold, this starts the next conflict of the story. Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft. What's her first name in this film? Mrs. I know. Yeah. R.S. <laughs> just somebody's wife. Exactly. Who's... That's important. That's re- I, I, I'm yeah. setting you up for that because it's important for our audience to know that she's nameless mm-hmm. because she's become just one of the domesticated school yeah. of fish that swim in the fish tank of society's expectations Ooh, that's and good. the counterculture of nineteen late 1960s. That's so good. And then, yeah, played by Anne Bancroft. Uh, but God bless her. Yeah, could have been played. Um, some people also in consideration. Uh, Judy Garland. Nope. Eva Marie Saint. Deborah Kerr. Doris Day. Gene Simmons. Sophia Loren. I think it works best with amb- she kind of has this kind of like sultry seductiveness with her mm-hmm. and much like someone fishing really starts reeling Benjamin in from this point until they eventually seal the deal. So this is an important moment because she meets Ben up in his room after he's fled the scene of this party because everyone is asking what's next, what's next, what's next. And I got to remind everybody or prep everybody mm-hmm. what's next is exactly how this movie is going to end too. But that's how all the, the what a great time to be talking about this film, Matt, because now in mid-May, a lot of graduation kids, time. kids are graduating from high school, they're graduating from college. Yeah, and yeah. I bet they're being asked a lot, well, what are you doing next? Are you going to college? Are you going to get a job? And... I, I kind of throw myself back to that time and like you kind of get sick of answering that question because probably the the most common answer is like unless you have a job a cushy job already lined up I don't know what I'm gonna do like, what were you gonna say at your time I'm gonna go right with Matt and start a podcast yeah exactly yeah we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna yeah it, it, take over to the world we're just gonna, we're just gonna write but yeah like you oh, I gotta find yeah. a way to pay the bills too but lo and behold that became a very hard endeavor i want to talk about that in in a little bit here so he flees the scene right yeah. heads up to his room yep and he's hanging out there and miss robinson comes up and asks if he will give her a lift home and he's got this nice shiny new buggy out there that i'm sure he's proud to show off but there's a really important moment that happens and then the camera puts it front and center for everyone to see she takes her car keys and she throws them to him mm-hmm it's the worst throw ever. He in, doesn't even try to catch them. Into the fish tank. Right into the fish tank. He rolls up his he rolls up his sleeves, mm-hmm. plunges his hand into the water, and pulls the fish tank out that are sitting right next to the same pre-mentioned diver that we just spoke of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Pulling the keys out of the fish tank. Yeah. The keys to get out of the fish tank. Mm-hmm. That's not done on accident. Yeah. Yeah, the symbolism and the, yeah, the, the use of, yeah, again, the, the reflections of the glass, it's almost like it's an entrapped case, and Benjamin is kind of trapped. Well, with, how does he escape the trap, Jesse? Mrs. Yeah. Robinson gives him gives him a way to get out. Exactly. Isn't that going to be consistent throughout the whole film? Mm-hmm. Right. And then back to her house. So, and, <laughs> Bourbon the, or scotch. I love the, yeah, I love the way she uh, kind of just like little by little kind of just kind of teases him into the house 
Benjamin, you mind turning on the lights? Like, I don't like walking in in the dark. Oh, I'm go. very neurotic. Yeah. Or, can you walk in? I don't want to be here alone until my husband. Like, Benjamin, would you like a drink? It's like, it's so, it's like someone taking off articles of clothing and it's like little by little you're getting to like what the crux of the reveal is going to be. And again, I, I love I love the reveal too. They have these interesting looking like bottles of, of scotch and bourbon. And, you know, she's still just reeling him along at this point. And Benjamin's like, oh, no, Mrs. Robinson. Like, you're like, I know what you're trying to do. You're like, you come in here. You tell me your husband's coming home late. You open your world to me after she spread her legs for him. Exactly. You're you're trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson. That was that was my Dustin Hoffman, by the way. (laughs) Trying to seduce you, mister? Trying to seduce you, Ben? Yeah. Would you like me to seduce you? Yeah. So before we go any further, Mm -hmm. uh, scotch or bourbon, Jesse? Depends on the day. All right, let's go with bourbon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you really think I'd do something like that? <laughs> like what? What do you think? Yeah, well, I don't know. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Here we are. You got me into your house. You give me a drink. You put on music. Now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? So he goes... Uh through the motions with mrs robinson and and she takes him upstairs to show uh benjamin elaine elaine robinson's room which her is portrait yeah her portrait that was painted or or, so, or something or whatever and, i don't remember hers having brown eyes yeah and elaine's about the same age as, as ben coming back from college eventually too yeah and he's like oh elaine's a very very, a very attractive woman wouldn't you agree so mrs robinson he's just so nervous like i love his delivery in this sequence it's just like so chaotic like so neurotic at this point and she forgot her purse in the car he's like oh benjamin came around to the car you want a purse oh i don't know and he's like mr robinson's gonna be coming home so he goes down and get it brings it upstairs and she set it on the steps yeah and he gets in the room but then she gets in there with him locks the door and she's just like topless from here and there and he's like oh god mrs robinson and i love how they like 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 almost like just one frame just like kind of like show show her like real quick and you're and he's just trying to like look anywhere but there and she's like what do you what do you think of what do you think of me benjamin (laughs) it's it's so great i love i love how it all unfolds oh god no yeah i want you to know i'm available for you anytime you want me ben yeah whatever some some version of that and then next uh mr robinson arrives home so he's got to get out of the room back downstairs to like make it seem like nothing's happened that's out of the ordinary and um, stand and watch over the old castle or yeah, something like Mr. Robinson, that. played by Murray Hamilton, uh, who most listeners will probably remember him most as the asshole mayor from the film Jaws, which maybe that's a bit of a hint of what's 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 to come here pretty soon. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love how just it's almost kind of just another disrespect of youth too. Like, you know, that's he's like bourbon or scotch or Benjamin. And he's like, Oh, bourbon, Mr. Robinson, and he gives him scotch. Scotch. And it, I think he he does it a couple more times throughout throughout the film. But I love Mr. Robinson's speech at this point. He's subtly, essentially telling Benjamin, I want you to sleep with my wife. Kind of, a th- He doesn't know that yet. Right. But he's giving him all the ammo and the fuel to sow some oats this summer, Ben. Well, he comes home yeah. and they have the same conversation that Ben was having at his party, which mm-hmm. is what's next for you. Mm-hmm. And he says, we've known each other a long time. Would you mind if I gave you some friendly advice? Yeah. And he's like, hmm, sure, Mr. Robinson, anything. Yeah. If I was your age, I'd have myself a heck of a good time. Yeah. Sow some wild oats, have some fun with the teeny boppers. Essentially, go out there, plow some ass, and then grow <laughs> up. And when you're done... Then you might know what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And can I be honest, though? Yeah. 
Is that really such terrible advice? No, yeah. It really isn't, is it? Ben's I mean, young, 21, 22. I don't like, think he necessarily means with my wife. Yeah. But, that, that's what's so ironic is that he's saying not with my wife, but he's telling Ben, oh, yeah, with, with my wife, because that's what's been offered to him. Exactly. Which is such an interesting twist of fate. Here's the thing that's different, though, whether it's the guy at the party that says yeah. you should get into plastics or the countless drivel of <clears throat> banality that is the conversation of what are you having and the woman you haven't seen in 25 years giving you the rudimentary kiss on the cheek. Yeah. Like he, The escape of that is do something rebellious. Yeah. Okay, so the rebellious thing, right? But rebellious is important in this movie because to be rebellious would be to go against the norm. And the norm being delivered to him by domesticated Mr. Robinson is an indictment of his own marriage. Because the last thing Ben wants to be, Jesse, mm-hmm. is what Mr. Robinson is. Yeah, That's a really continuous and consistent theme in this film. Yeah, Look, it's broken. World War II is over. We tried to wreck women with film noir. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. But the catch by the picket fence and meatloaf on Sunday night oh, isn't working. It's gone. It's gone. It's so gone. There's some problems we have to address. And art imitates life. Yeah. And <clears throat> such we get as film in this regard. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about it, though. Yeah. It's easy to do that and just be pissy and petulant and a hater. Mm-hmm. Mike Nichols does this in a comedic, yeah. smart, and subtle way. Mm-hmm. And that line, so this is all getting to the bigger hole here. Yeah. The line, which is, I think you should sh- sow some wild oats, yeah. is, look, man, it's coming for you eventually. You're going to have to swim in this fish tank called expectations or societal expectations. Mm-hmm. Don't be so quick to join the school just yet. Swim on your own a little bit. Exactly. And then, you know, we go from that to a pretty embarrassing scene for, for Benjamin, who's, again, oh, his man. parents just, they just have him on this pedestal. Or they're, he's essentially like this, like, caged animal, like, in a zoo. Yeah. And he is all decked out in his scuba gear, and his dad wants him to, like, come, like, do, I don't know, dunk around in the family pool. Like, it's kind of ridiculous what his dad wants him to do. And he wants him to show off for his friends so he, the dad can show what a cool gift he gave his son. Exactly. And, and he's like, Dad, can we talk about this for a second? I'd really like to talk about this, please. You can't keep them waiting much longer, Ben. Get out of here. So he comes out in full flipper, scuba tank, scuba mask. The spear. With a spear gun. And just submerges into the pool and just sits there. Which is exactly the same image, Jesse, Mm -hmm. as the diving man in the fish tank that Mm -hmm. we opened up on with Ben in front of the fish tank at the party. Yeah, Ben is... He's become that guy. He's lost. He has no direction. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And quite honestly, and this is why I want to speak like a little bit about how I first saw this this film. So to give you a little background on, on mine and Matt's... How we started this whole venture and everything. Uh, Matt teaches a very interesting class called Real History. And in this class, films are watched in accordance with decades. So you go through the 1800s Westerns and then through Prohibition and Gangsters and World War II. Eventually, you kind of lock in here in in the 60s, which is when we first saw this film. As a student, I saw this film in Matt's class for the first time. I'd never seen it before. And... There was a few films in that class that really jumped out at me that I hadn't seen. But this one in particular be- quickly became one of the five most important films that I'd ever seen in my entire life. Not only did it help me see films differently, 
But I was a senior in high school when I saw that kind of the perfect time, not necessarily with all the affairs and adultery aspect, but that kind of like, what next step are you going to take? Obviously, that was college for myself, but it kind of put me in the Benjamin Braddock kind of frame of mind. And it, it hit me even harder when I graduated college because much like Benjamin, I knew what I wanted to do, but I knew that like, that wasn't necessarily the like like the first call I had to like kind of get work experience and this and that and it was so frustrating just to kind of share a little of my plight of that postgraduate malaise. It was hard to find a job after college, and you know just because I had a a, a degree, you know, people didn't want to hire me. They wanted work experience, and then I was like, well, if you don't take a chance, how do I get that experience? It was the most frustrating thing I think I've ever gone through in my entire life. So at that moment, I did feel like Benjamin in the bottom of that pool. With the air bubbles coming up. Wow. So, you know, that's where I first uh, met Matt was in this class. I actually happened to be an aide for him in one of his other classes. And we got to just talking and hitting it off with film. And uh, we volunteered for this uh, screenwriters conference. And on the drives up, which they were about 50 miles away, we kind of just said, why don't we just sit down and write our own thing? We talk and know quite a bit about film. Let's Put it to the let's put it to the test. But you had already had some experience in that uh, prior to me jumping on. There's an expression out there that everybody should have a mentor and a this and a, whatever that expression is. I can't remember it. I guess now's a perfect time to do this. Mm-hmm. And this isn't necessarily related to your entry into film, but it, like to sure, you, yeah. Just you have all those things like son, mentor, friend partner like you fill so many things in that for me like mm-hmm. jesse for everybody out there mm-hmm. is my prize winning student in film that's not patting myself on the back by any means it's making connection with somebody through something that i loved at my core and mm-hmm. have and to do as many like to that this relationship between you and i is where it is today in a podcast that is doing really well yeah is truly remarkable and yeah. serendipitous and makes me so fortunate. But yeah. I would be remiss if we didn't or make you raise it up for two people right, right now. First is Gus Blaisdell. Yes. Gus Blaisdell was my film professor at the University of New Mexico. He was a retired math professor. I, we've already toasted him, but I love this man. Mm-hmm. And I remember what listening to his class thinking like, my God, I want to do what this guy does. So yeah. inspirational. Yeah. And the second yeah. is Denny King. <laughs> Denny King and the band Wade. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a little plug in for the band Wade. Check them out. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. If Denny King had given you the answer yes, yeah. you and me might not be sitting here right now. Exactly. Isn't that right? Yeah, thank you. Thank so you. Denny and Gus. Yeah, thank you. God bless you both. Thank you very much. So yeah, Matt and I have been on this film odyssey for dang near almost a decade now, which is pretty amazing. You know, been able to see 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 your 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 children grow up it's it's been it's been amazing this is the point we're vacationing together this summer exactly it's going to be a blast so it just kind of give you a little background on the voices on the the people behind the mic that's how me and matt started this whole thing and we've written some damn pretty great stories along the way and had a great time doing it yeah i love you brother to you yeah cheers to us yeah (laughs) cheers us uh but yeah, it all kind of started with The Graduate. And, you know, The Graduate, you know, if you kind of want to look at like a film criticism perspective, I think this is a great film to kind of open up uh, a film viewer's world into films that aren't just entertainment, but that have a deeper meaning. Yeah. This film's just loaded. And again, again, here Benjamin just submerged in the pool is, is such a great image of where he is at a character. What's, what's the very next thing we get after this? 
him phoning up Mrs. Robinson saying, I'll, I, I'd like to, I'd like to meet you, Mrs. Robinson. In a voiceover while we're still watching him in the pool. Yes. I'm going to want the viewers to think about something here from our viewers, the listeners to think about something here for mm-hmm. a minute. The cruelty of having pet fish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fish swim in a tank with clear glass sides. Yeah. It's for two purposes. Mm-hmm. Number one, so that we can appreciate the beauty yeah. of this contained animal. Yep. And number two, and to trick them yep. that there's a much larger world that's accessible to them than actually is. Yeah. And the truth is, everybody gets in a fish tank at some point. Oh, yeah. And you are limited with the walls of expectation. And just on the other side of that wall, which you can see, mm-hmm. lies the greater. Yep. But... At some point, that becomes unattainable. And that's not an indictment of the human condition. No, it's yeah. just life. Yep. This movie is taking a direct look at that. And as we are looking at Ben in the diver's mask, diver's suit, at mm-hmm. the bottom of the pool, he's in the fish tank. And the dad is doing what we're doing, which is appreciating his containment mm-hmm. for our aesthetic, analytic yeah. purposes. And so Ben's got to get out of that fish tank because despite what he's wanting to do, because mm-hmm. the question has been, what's next? Yep. And the, the answer is real simple. Yeah. It's you're going to get married. You're going to have a family. You're going to get a job. You're going to die. It's what's next. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> it's life, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, saying that it sounds so trivial, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. As long as the school that you choose to swim with, yeah. and namely your significant other, mm-hmm. Is someone that you like swimming with. Yeah. And the fish tank is mostly good. Yeah. So Ben's got to get out of that. Yeah. Because he's not ready to swim in the tank yet. Yeah. He doesn't want to be limited by the societal norms mm-hmm. that define <clears throat> American society in 1967. Yeah. This is counterculture revolting before our eyes. And to a T. And like before this, like you couldn't really have characters like Benjamin Braddock and Mrs. Robinson populating the the film screen because oh no way you had the good natured jimmy stewart's and carrie grant's and everything had to have a happy resolved ending which we're kind of not really going to have at the end of this film i mean the saga i mean if you want to take that step further hayes code's mostly done at this point yeah but like what it took wilder to get stanwick to play the part she played of felix diedrichson in mm-hmm. in double indemnity yeah now consider Anne bancroft as yeah. mrs robinson in mm-hmm. this film no way you're going to do this movie because it's telling the american viewing populace yeah hey the family's kind of broken yeah have an affair have an affair have an affair one or two at least <laughs> yeah. sell some wild oats yeah this is like films weren't being made like this probably this is why i like films like this and easy rider and midnight cowboy and yeah. the french connection deliverance because they were tabooing into subjects that had just never been broached on film before well look i think you and i both agree yeah like this period 65 to 75 ish oh that's my favorite era. Let's of put films. in Last Picture Show while we're at it. Yeah, Last Picture Show. Uh, yeah, Hell Ashby, Harold and Maude. Like, like so many great deliverance films coming out at that time. Yeah. Raging Bull. That's a little bit later, but it kind of fits in that mold. Mm-hmm. That's eighty. But Taxi Driver. Yeah. Like that. That right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in this period where the characters aren't nice. They're not good. The protagonists aren't good people. They might have good centered goals, but they're flawed characters. Like all of us. Like humans. At the right time, mm-hmm. any temptation is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Do you have the perseverance to say no? Exactly. Benjamin doesn't. So he's going to go through with his affair with Mrs. Robinson at the Taft Hotel and nervously kind of like going through the motions of having to sign up for a room 
And I love how the he's part like, when he like cups her breast and she <laughs> just takes it in stride like it's nothing. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird and, and hilarious and funny. Yeah, the the humor is just so subtle in the film. Like yeah. you're just like laughing the whole way. And so they finally get down to it. And then through kind of another great montage, and all the montages in the film are populated with music by Simon and Garfunkel, which is just so perfect. That's <laughs> such a melancholy, like, kind of almost slightly depressing, like, band. Did you know they wanted no part of the soundtrack in this film no. until after it started making money? Wow. So, this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but the point at which he's driving the car and it runs out of gas towards mm-hmm. the end of the film, mm-hmm. that's the original version of Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. And that was recorded... After Simon and Garfunkel had essentially said no to the soundtrack because we're too big for this film. And then the movie started making a ton of money and they went back Mm -hmm. and re-recorded the full version of Mrs. Robinson once they found out how profitable it would be. And the soundtrack for this film is released... It's it's at least three or four months after the movie has already left its first run. Yeah. Because they were re-recording the soundtrack that those clowns said they didn't want to record. And these songs that some of them, like I think Sound of Silence had been recorded prior to, right. and they really liked that song. But the, these songs got popu- popularized through this film. Like this kind of helped propel Simon and Garfunkel into their eventual breakup. Well, it's also, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's also why Scarborough Fair gets used so much because they only had access to three songs for the movie. Oh, I love Scarborough Fair. Maybe four. love Scarborough Fair. Right. Yeah. So let's do two things here real quick. So we're in the middle of the affair. Yeah. And Ben tries to tries to puss out, right? Yep. And she basically says, it's cool. If you're not man enough, then yeah. I get it. You're a virgin. And, and man, she puts him straight on blast. Yeah. Yes. And calls his manhood mm-hmm. into question. Mm-hmm. And he looks her and says, wait right there, Mrs. Robinson. Door locked. Click, lights, lights out. Montage. And it's on. And <laughs> we go into yeah. April Comes She May in that fantastic montage, yeah. which is done so simply yeah. with the background of black. Mm-hmm. Black and him getting out of the pool and going to going inside, but like the transition is him the entering, entering the house through the bathroom at the tap. Oh. It's just, it's going on for a while now. And then as he's laying there in the bed and she's getting dressed to go back to her family, then he stays there and the black backdrop turns into him watching TV at his house. Exactly. And then he goes up and closes the door so his mom and dad don't see what he's doing in his room. And then it turns back into the Taft Hotel. That, Jesse, Mm -hmm. is such a good sequence Mm -hmm. in film. Yeah. The best montage of my personal movie going experience Mm -hmm. that includes godfather one excellent that does include it that, that that's that's really good and and then from that we get you know his mom starting to question a little bit like benjamin what do you do at night you like you leave and you don't come back until like the next day like you meeting somebody's like no i'm not meeting him he's like mom, i don't meet anyone mother he's like why do you ask me that yeah and he's kind of put on blast so then the next time he's with mrs robinson he's like mrs let me do my best Dustin Hoffman in person. Mrs. Robinson, do you think do you think we could talk a little bit you know, before we get, get, get into this? Like, can I have an actual conversation together? <laughs> what do you want to talk about? And How about th- art? Yeah, and then it gets deep. And then, you know, kind of talking about, again, that postgraduate malaise. Mrs. Robinson had a degree in art, which, my God, like, good luck finding a job with that degree. But she didn't even finish it, though. Because she was... Uh, pregnant. Yep, gotten pregnant with uh with Mr. Robinson. He's like, "What's in the back of the car?" Like, "No, oh, Benjamin, this and that." And through their their kind of conversation, he finds the riffles that kind of brought Mrs. Robinson to this place. This kind of, oh, he's like, "Oh, you you you, Mr. Robinson, this and that." And he's really curious about this entire thing. Those places that bring Mrs. Robinson to the point that they're at in this film. This is the breakup scene, the yep. first breakup scene. Yeah. Are 
the walls of the fish tank of life that are coming for most of us eventually. Family, Mm -hmm. husband, motherhood, fatherhood. The problem for Mrs. Robinson is it happened too soon. And if you remember, the crux of the whole issue between the two of them is Ben in an offhanded or joking comment telling mm-hmm. Mrs. Robinson, yeah. I'm just going to have to take Elaine Robinson out. And she grabs him by the hair yep. with her cigarette in yep. her hand, about to extinguish it in his eye, yeah. and says, Benjamin, don't you ever yeah. take that girl out. Yeah. And there's a big moment in this movie, Jesse, because Mrs. Robinson is working through lost youth. One of the things you and I talk a lot about, especially when we write, is mm-hmm. how can we give this mm-hmm. villain a sympathetic cause? Yep. The worst villains of all time are, I'm going to destroy this world and then take it over, Ultron. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So if you can tap into a reasonably understandable cause mm-hmm. or action in your villain, yeah. then it makes them much more likable. Mrs. Robinson doesn't think that Ben isn't good enough for her daughter. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want him to date Elaine because it's the younger version of herself. And she will lose for the second time to the same woman that which she has reclaimed in Ben, her lost youth. Mm -hmm. It's a double slap in the face. Yeah. So she's building up walls all over the place because she knows. Yeah. If he sees Elaine. Yeah. It's me, less 20 years in alcoholism. Yeah. They're going to hit it. Of course they're going to hit it off. And then it's Catherine Ross, so she's gorgeous. Exactly. And really likable. Mm-hmm. There's no way she wants that. It, she becomes a two-time loser. Yeah. And that's a really sad Real position. Real tragic, yeah. That, you know, I know it's a movie. Mm-hmm. How many women, mm-hmm. 1950 to 19, whenever you want to go, mm-hmm. even today, could empathize with her plight? Mm-hmm. Many. Yeah. Many of us came to this earth in the backseat of a Ford, Jesse. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because Benjamin's getting the heat from all angles. He's getting the heat from Mr. Robin. When Elaine comes back, why don't you take her out of the thing? Like, and, and his father's like, you should take Elaine out when she comes back. And yeah. so, you know, the ultimate pressure eventually caves in. So he does so and real crudely, like, treats Elaine like a piece of shit. Yeah. Takes her to a strip club. He has this weird, like, burlesque like, like, like tassel boob like thing like this this spinning them like helicopter propellers on her over head, her hand on her head yeah it's so disrespectful and yeah. to the point where he's like you know what that's not right and he tries to go make amends and you know they kiss and then eventually have a good night and i think at that point benjamin's like i kind of like this elaine a little bit like this is a little bit better than mrs everything that mrs robinson feared i love Catherine ross but not only was she gorgeous but like anytime I think of Catherine Ross, I think of her in the Stepford Wives, Wives naked, combing her hair with those black beady eyes. It's mm-hmm. so, so creepy. Yeah, that's that's Catherine Ross for me. But so amazing in this film. Yeah, Butch Cassidy and Sundance in between these two as well. That's pretty great run by Catherine Three Ross. Three good there. films yeah, in a row, that's right? Really Graduate awesome. Butch Cassidy and Stepford Wives. That's awesome. Yeah. So event. So, to that, I got to say something. Can I ahead. tell you this? Since you brought up the Separate Wives, it has nothing to do with this. Sure, sure. The first woman in my life that I ever had a crush on, yeah, as informed to me by my mom, yeah, is in the Stepford Wives. It's Tina Louise. Okay. So you and me are toasting to Tina Louise right now. Excellent. God bless Tina Louise and the Stepford Wives and the Stepford Wives <laughs> and Catherine Ross. Mm-hmm. So this starts the conflict for the rest of the film now because there's obvious tension between 
Mrs. Robinson and Benjamin, and then unbeknownst to Elaine, yeah, between kind of like this underlying building explosion. Yeah. And I think in a really great scene, I noticed it when I was watching it last night, when Ben comes to pick up Elaine for their first date, and again, Mr. Robinson's pouring him scotch when he wanted bourbon. Bourbon. Off to the right side of the frame is Mrs. Robinson in this kind of like recliner just like getting blitzed. And the entire time she's just... What are they watching though? The newlywed game. Yeah, yeah. But she's like, her gaze is just fixed on Ben. Unblinking like... If looks could kill. How dare you, you little piece of shit. I told you not to do this and you're doing it. You're going against everything. thing, And I'm going to mess this all up for you. Oh yeah. Which is exactly what she does. You know, kind of gets in the car with him, like all that, like that beady rain, like Benjamin, this, like this, this, this has to stop you. This must end. And like, you know, or I'm going to tell Elaine, like, don't you do that. Don't you do that, Mrs. Robinson. What's interesting about that too is, okay, so they have their, Ben and Elaine have their great date. Yeah. He drops her off. He comes the next day to pick her up. And instead of Elaine coming out to meet him at the car, it's Mrs. Robinson. She jumps in the car back mm-hmm. in the fish tank. We're watching it and hearing it through glass mm-hmm. as they're having their, their, their final breakup. Yeah. And then he leaves her and bolts out of the car. So he leaves her in the fish tank to hightail it to the house. Yeah. To tell Elaine, the woman that I had mentioned earlier that I was maybe having an affair with. Yeah. It's, and at that point. And he doesn't even have to finish the sentence. This is such a great. Camera effect. Great blocking. And like the positioning of the actor by Mike Nichols. This is like, this is filmmaking 101. They should teach us in every film school. Yeah. He's about to tell her that the door's like slightly creaked open at this point in Elaine's bedroom. Yep. And in comes sopping, makeup strewn, wet Mrs. Robinson. Out of focus. Out of focus. And then into focus. Like just. As Catherine or Elaine figures out that, oh my God, it was my mom. It's just a look. It's just a look that the two of them make. And then back to Elaine looking at Ben and it pulls back. They rack back into focus onto Elaine. And she's like, Benjamin, how could you? And. Yeah, it, it's it's great. Like that's you can just evoke so much, so many thematic elements and emotions and character development by just by the way you position the camera yeah. and operate it. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. Mike Mike Nichols, R.I.P., but masterfully directed this film. Mm-hmm. I gotta say so. Well, you're not gonna come on, man. If he's yeah, down, yeah, to, for sure. On cheers that. to Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. So then again, we get montage number number two of the film. Now I think believe this is Scarborough Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this, love this song. It's so sleepy and dreamlike. Yeah. Anytime it comes on, but this is kind of the aftermath of the revelation. The Elaine's going back to college uh, without me, mm-hmm. and he's got no way back in into Elaine. He's very stalkerish, just from like behind bushes, like kind of like how do I get writing back? her name fifty ways on a notepad? Yeah. How do I smoking? How do I get back into that world there? And then in the most maybe the most brilliant scene of the entire film. He comes up to his dad in the kitchen. He's like, "I asked. I'm gonna ask Elaine Robinson to marry me." And everything. His mom and every. They're just so. I love how his mom screams too. It's just so over the top. Hey, come on. We gotta call the Robinsons. We've got something to celebrate. No, I think you want to wait on that. Oh, they don't know. No, they don't. Well, when did you decide all this? About an hour ago. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. You talked to Elaine this morning? No, she doesn't know about it. Uh, you mean she doesn't know that you're coming up to Berkeley? No, actually, she doesn't know about us getting married yet. Well, when did you two talk this over? We haven't. You haven't? Ben, 
This whole idea sounds pretty half-baked. No, it's not. It's completely baked. It's a decision I've made. Well, what makes you think she wants to marry you? She doesn't. To be perfectly honest, she doesn't like me. But Benjamin essentially has no plan uh, for this. He's, it's just something he came up with done on a whim. And he's like, well, son, like... Sounds pretty half-baked. Yeah, and he's like, oh, no, Dad, it's 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 fully baked. <laughs> and she's like, well, does, what does she think of all this? She's like, oh, no, I don't think she wants to marry. She, I, I think she hates me. To be perfectly honest with you, I think Elaine Robinson hates me. <laughs> and then he just leaves. It, the, comedic, the comedic timing is just so good. And But, again, I, I kind of want to, like, feed onto this. You know, like, every... Like kind of like male fantasy is to kind of like hit the game winning shot in the game or score the game winning touchdown. Like this is like a different type of like male fantasy where Benjamin's actually going to fulfill the idea of like okay this is the one that got away I'm gonna go get her back and he's gonna do whatever he has to. Uh, he's gonna be as stalkerish as he needs to be to to get her back. Going all the way to to Berkeley now to. To win Elaine back. Essentially sitting in the courtyard waiting for her to come out of a class so that he can follow her en route to the next class. Onto the bus, then to the zoo. The zoo, right, where she meets, the, where he meets her new boyfriend, yeah. Carl. Mm-hmm. So everything's just so screwed up for Ben at this point. But then Elaine kind of gives him like a, a means back in when she shows up at his room and it was like... Ben, Benjamin, like, he's like... With Mr. Roper, the landlord? Yeah, oh, I love that. That's it's so good. He's yeah. like, I, I don't like you. I don't like your type. But like, I want you out of here. <laughs> I know, he gets thrown out for mostly nothing. Yeah, exactly. So after a lot of dodging and parrying and tit-a-tat for the two characters, Ben and Elaine, she shows up at his, I guess, dorm room, really. Mm-hmm. It's more mm-hmm. of an apartment, but dorm room. Yeah. And basically just says, how could you possibly do that? How could you rape my mother? And he's like, I didn't rape your mom. He's like, no, no, Elaine. He's like, that's not what happened. That's she not was the- a willing participant. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't want to hear this. And she lets out, which is the second of three. You mentioned the first one, yeah. which is the mom's scream yeah. when she finds out that Ben is engaged to Elaine, even though he's not. Mm-hmm. Second one, her glass shattering scream. Yeah, it summons everybody. Okay. And there's going to be a third one that happens in the church, which is a really important glass shattering scream scream yes. as well yes but it brings mr roper whatever the hell his name yeah. is in the movie yeah and and richard dreyfus in his first appearance in film yes as a little sycophantic ass kissing <laughs> do you want me to call the cops like that guy right <laughs> yes <laughs> to sort of his his front door mm-hmm. and then he and elaine basically kind of make up but ben doesn't even have a place to live anymore and she says can i ask you to do me a favor and he's like well what's the favor Will you kiss me? And we've gone now full circle. Mm -hmm. And we're in the middle of it. So whatever glass there is in society's norms and what fish tank we're supposed to swim in, I'm pretty sure none of it is. Yeah, you can have an affair with my mother and destroy my entire life and my family. (laughs) But then can you and I make out for a few minutes? Like, it's okay. Yeah. We are really in the middle of the counterculture on the silver screen. Yeah. I just got to say this again. I know I've already said it. Yeah. To Mike Nichols and finding a way to not do it that is so heavy-handed and hady and snarky. Yeah. Done comedically and interestingly. Mm-hmm. But then, and then he's, he says, I want to marry you. Will you marry me, Elaine? But she's... What's her of, answer? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then so he's like, well, why won't you marry her? And he follows her all the next day, waiting outside her classroom and just picking up the conversation wherever it ended. And she's event- she's getting married to this guy. And so the walls are closing in on Ben. Like, like he's uh, times of the essence. And then now we start getting, it's so great. It, Simon and Garfunkel, like, I, I, I kind of like Paul Simon's music. I'll just say that. Yeah, I'm with you. This soundtrack is 
amazing. Mm. And now we start getting the acoustic strumming of Mrs. Robinson. Bum, ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum. And he's going to buy flowers. Do, 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 and, do, do, yeah. Do, do, do. yeah. And we're just getting, we're kind of getting like that. Like he's whistling it and he's like, he's like a new man. This is going to happen. And then, oh shit. Here Which is kind of like that song too, right? It's sort of upbeat and happy. And if you listen to it, yeah, it's the the eulogy on the demise of this poor domesticated overly domesticated woman yeah exactly it's kind of nichols is so far ahead of his time yeah on the role and the necessity of womanhood mm-hmm. in this domestic mm-hmm. hell mm-hmm. god he's i mean we can say what we want about me too and all this and that and yeah. all that mike nichols is eons and cerebrally so far ahead of them in this film mm-hmm. yeah. so brilliant yeah a great great writer too. can i ask you a question yeah. this is not story-wise yeah in all of the villains that you know in film, okay. Hannibal Lecter, Darth Vader, you know, Ultron, yeah. whoever you want to say, is Mrs. Robinson one of your five favorite villains of all time? She's yeah, she's she's really up there. Like, isn't she? Yeah, but and but but I think because of the pathos that she has right. too. Like, it's not like that throwaway villain. Like, you know, you know, when you kind of break down Darth Vader, like you can kind of break him down pretty simplistically at times. We got to talk about Star Wars one of these days too. I think there's Mrs. Robinson has so many layers of a past that we've never got to see to her present state to her ventral kind of like madness that she envelops and and just totally she causes the chaos of Benjamin and Elaine she she causes all of this. She's been married to this guy that she mostly doesn't give a damn about because she never loved him to begin with. Yeah. They don't sleep in the same bed. Mm-hmm. They have very little in relationship with each other short of Elaine. Mm-hmm. Man, I get her. It sounds weird because I'm not her. Yeah. But, and she doesn't have a ton of time on screen. She has a significant yeah. amount, but not, it's yeah. not her movie. Mm-hmm. She is so well developed mm-hmm. and it all stems from, maybe it's simplicity. And we've talked about this a lot, whether it's, yeah. you know, porn versus pinup yeah. or what you see in horror versus what you don't see. Yeah, it's the same thing here. It's just regret. Mm-hmm. It's just, I made this mistake and fuck if I haven't paid for it mm-hmm. for 20 years yeah and she's just miserable and i i feel for her man yeah i kind of in a weird way Mm -hmm. because she's the original milf too right yeah i kind of want her and ben to work out yeah it's also and this has come up just as a side note yeah it's why i like don john so much yeah the don john is whatever it is for the first two thirds Mm -hmm. but the final third between joseph gordon levitt Mm -hmm. and julianne moore is absolute brilliance yeah harold maud same thing yeah Okay, keep going. And at the end of the day, though, kind of piggybacking on what you just said, there's no way in hell that it could ever work out. No matter how many different ways you figured it, it's it's destined to not be a long-term solution. Does it not pose the same question, though, between them, what would be next? Yeah, exactly. And the answer is you're not ever given an answer to that, Jesse. You're you're not. I'm not. Denise and Alyssa aren't. None of them are. It's just as confusing. I love it. So then he comes back home and, oh, no, there's Murray Hamilton, asshole mayor from Jaws, just <laughs> sit, sitting there in his apartment. And he knows at this point, Mrs. Robinson's let the cat out of the bag that Benjamin's assaulted me or... Would you please unclench your fist if your fist at me? Yeah, and... I, I love how he get And they're, they're all just kind of like, it's, it's I think it's raining again. Are they all kind of like rain drenched again? Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. And then, like, to the point, like, I, I don't know if there's a way, but I think I could find a way to press charges against you, Benjamin. He's like, I think you are filth. I think you are scum. Yeah. I think you're a degenerate. Yeah. And he just storms off. So, like, everything's just, like, it's just all, like, such a clusterfuck at this point. Right. But Benjamin, uh, amen to Benjamin Braddock. He's 
he's gonna do what what what, what he wants and what he thinks. He'll get the girl. Yeah, this is what's the natural path again to Mrs. Robinson. This is, I was I was watching the movie in, in in my living room last night, and every time Mrs. Robinson came on, I was like kind of like tapping my knee, and I was singing the song. I was just like so into it. Yeah, I was I was loving it. And so now, like, time is of the essence. The wedding's happening. Like, there's nothing he can do about it. Like, he's got to make a move fast, but he doesn't know where the wedding is. He goes to the frat house of the guy. and like, Well, no, f- hold on. First, he goes to see Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, he thinks, oh, it's got to be at the parents' house. Mm-hmm. So he goes there, and Mrs. Robinson calls the cops on him. Mm-hmm. Like, a way different and, like, the worst side of Mrs. Robinson that we could possibly have. Yeah. Until a couple minutes later, when she's going to beat the shit out of her daughter, but we'll get to that also. Yeah, exactly. So she calls the cops on him. So he's on the co- he's on the run from the cops. Mm-hmm. Time is ticking with where the wedding is moments away. Yeah, and he has no idea where to go. Goes to the frat house, tries to get some kind of like answer on where uh, where this is at, and. I love his frat boys. Like, hey man, tell him to save a piece for me. And yeah, and this and and this and the that. old makeout king. So he keeps getting getting a little closer. He kind of gets an idea of like a church or where it's going to be. And then he gets into the town, goes to this gas station, like calls up like the dad's like like office saying like, I'm the reverend. I'm, I'm performing the ceremony. I'm his brother. I need to know where it's going to be. And they give him an answer. And then the gas clerk is like, doesn't know where it is. He's like, uh, three over and two up, reverend. And he's like slamming his fist. Cause, and, and he's like, do you need gas? And then like the very next scene, he again, expertly timed out to simon and garfunkel like dunked and like it gets slower as he runs out of gas too so now benjamin's on his feet running as fast as humanly possible to the church uh which the wedding's like at the end like they're like you may now kiss the bride and he's up there and it's such a great image too and he's just like oh god like i'm too late and he just starts banging on the glass elaine (laughs) elaine Yep. And it's just it's just a circus now at this point. And she turns around. Yeah. Leaves Carl. Yeah. It doesn't leave him, but ignores him. Yeah. And bang! Yeah, the and third really, scream. Third scream. Yeah. Which doesn't shatter the glass, but it's an important moment mm-hmm. because us watching him bang on the cry room mm-hmm. behind the glass is the essentially... The cry room. That's exactly what that is. Is the fishbowl, <laughs> man. Like, getting out of the fishbowl for the final time. Yeah, this is it. So... She breaks the glass metaphorically. Yeah. He escapes. You know what I love? Mm-hmm. Like, it's comedic the way that he fights the whole wedding party off. With the giant cross. With the cross, but check this out too. Mm-hmm. He escapes with Elaine. Yeah. They run off hand in hand and he barricades those people inside the church mm-hmm. with the cross as the anchor that doesn't allow the doors to open. Like, yeah. another instance of, look, I'm not telling you people that are watching this. That religion's a problem, but in the hands of the masses, it's another fish tank. And he traps all of those people behind the glass in that really glass important church yeah. with the cross. Mm-hmm. But also as the barricade, man, that is so ge- God, that's Jesse, that's just genius. Also counterculture as well. Like Mike Nichols is subtly telling you, like, religion's a barrier at this point. Look, like, honestly, Jesse. Yeah. You and I both grew up as we're, and we're covering Catholics. Yeah. In the hands of the masses, mm-hmm. religion's a weapon, man. Mm-hmm. Like, say whatever you want about it, and I don't want to get into all that because that's not what this is about. Yeah. But like, this is no one's going to disagree with that. Yeah. Like it says this in this book. Go back to like pre-enlightenment era. Yeah. It says this in this book. You better give me all your money, or you're going to burn in hell. Like, <laughs> 
right? I mean, it's in the hands of the masses. It's been nothing but issue after issue. And I love that Mike Nichols is smart enough mm-hmm. to barricade them in there mm-hmm. with it. But also, yeah. it's what gives him and Elaine their freedom. So it's not like fuck all religion i hate everything it's mike nichols saying no 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 yeah it still is super powerful yeah in the hands mm-hmm. of the individual mm-hmm. god bless mike nichols for that it's so ahead of its time like, Way ahead like of this its 67 time. like like i can't think of another film that like tried to do the same things prior to that because go back to the early 60s 62 63 you got like to kill a mockingbird and you still have these good-natured films with these characters like it wasn't until, like, honestly, like, I swear to God, like, a turning point in film, six, 1963, I yep. believe it was, yep. Cleopatra, yep. this $200 million epic, Boom. the maybe biggest box office bomb ever, ever, that killed the way films were looked at and made. You it launched the independent system. It launched, like, yeah, the independent, that was, like, and then expertly done in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of showed that we can't make the overwrought epics and the over-the-top musicals anymore because they're not buying into that right. the times are changing the presidents are being killed uh we're getting into vietnam we're trying to get to space civil rights movement like Look, there's some issues let's address them let's address them and, yeah. the, and the films do it again i think at a time you know like films now are real heavy-handed with how they handle themes back then it was so subtle and brilliant yep. Th- this is one of them I I, I I couldn't have said that better. And then to you, Mike Nichols, like, Jesus, like, how come we're not talking about you in the vein of Coppola and these guys? Like, you know why? And Billy Wilder. Because it's this. Yeah. And then it's nothing until closer. Yeah. Yeah. So you were great here, but then you you fell off after this. Real quick about back in the church. We see the worst of Mrs. Robinson at this point, too. Elaine is about to escape the fish tank with the guy that's not who she was supposed to be with. And what's her mom's response, Jesse? What does she do to her? Starts slapping her around. Smacks the shit out of her. Yeah. Okay, after Ben has fended them, and that's also what I like, Ben fends off the crowd, the horde with the cross as his weapon. I love that. (laughs) That he's not afraid to do that. And it's funny, but it's also smart. Like in the hands of the individual, it's very powerful. But then fends them off, and then Elaine gets the two smacks or three smacks from Mrs. Robinson. Mm -hmm. And out we go. Barricades them behind the glass doors as we watch them bang 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 on the glass and ben this is a really important moment in this movie jesse ben gets away with another married woman like at the end of this film ben's still with a married woman like when the priest says to you you may kiss the bride it's signed sealed and delivered yeah and so at the end of the film He's still with a married woman. I love that. So what fish tank are the two of them in? I don't know, but it's unique to them. And I think that's the message for me. And I'll let you take the the end sequence here. But the final message for me that we spoke about it last week in 500 Days of Summer Mm -hmm. that makes Summer cry is the movie that makes me rejoice. Yeah. Or is the the moment in the movie that makes me rejoice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to make sense to everybody else. It's just got to make sense to you. Yep. And so if you're going to swim in the fish tank, make sure it's a fish tank that you like. And by God, make sure you like who you're swimming with. Exactly. He's still with a married woman. Yeah. And they <laughs> they leave one fish tank, the church, 
to another fish tank, the bus. The bus, yeah. And they're just so elated with, you know, kind of like that spur-of-the-moment action that's really enveloped them. And enveloped the watcher as well. Like, I'm just, like, so into it at this point. Right. And into the back of the bus, and, you know, they're sitting there, and they're happy. And then, oh, and behold, here comes Simon and Garfunkel again to make us question everything. Right. Um, Sound of Silence starts playing, and... She looks at him, and he's got nothing for her, right? Yeah, like, the the smiles turn into, like... What's next? Yeah, kind of, like, almost, like, really, really stoic grins. And, yeah, she gives him a look, and then look forward. Because they both got nothing. They don't know what's next. Except the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Each other. Mm-hmm. Because that's all you really have. It's great. And I love that, like, nowadays, films would probably try to, like... Throw some voiceover over the top of this, or the characters would be speaking like, like literally say, like, Benjamin, what do we do next? And he's like, I don't know, Elaine, but at least I got you. This movie's so brilliant; doesn't have to do any of that. It's just two glances and Simon and Garfunkel overhead, and you get it all. I love it. It's it's again the subtlety, the subtle brilliance of this film is is at play here in the very final sequence and shot. Think about what they escape in. Their getaway vehicle is a school bus. Yeah. I mean, if that is not the epitome mm-hmm. of the bureaucratic establishment of societal norms yeah. and its functional process on Earth, a school bus, a vehicle to expedite the process of travel, yeah. to get the offspring of people to the institution that's going to educate you, that yeah. just reeks yeah. of establishment, does yep. it not? Yeah. And that's what they're escaping on? Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind yeah. that Ben and Elaine... Spent the next 50 years until rumor has it ruined the whole film. But we're not going to talk about that piece of shit. That movie, rumor has it. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. before they decided to do the sequel-ish to like The Graduate. Yeah. and this... they, lived, they lived a happy life. And you know what? They, they, they probably never got married proper because they would have to have that marriage annulled. And I bet they're at this point in 2019 elderly and happy yeah and have had plenty of fights and fuck-ups and retribution and whatever you want to call it and are just killing it and here's the thing too not everything needs a sequel like no i love like this ending this ending leaves so much to be answered with like the next steps and the next phases of their lives but i kind of as a viewer i don't want to see any of that i know what's gonna happen my brain can just put all that together i don't need to read that i don't need to see that on the screen it's again, and Matt, I, we, I swear we got to do this film one of these days. It's why the ending of Whiplash is so subtly brilliant. In this, oh, yeah. In this same way where those characters never see or talk to each other ever again. That's the dividing of lines between the two of them. But I don't need to see those scenes. It's like here, I don't need to see what happens after the school bus because I know. Especially in romance, the relationship between male and female is important. Mm-hmm. I think it happens in sports films and that's coach to player. Yeah. But also in romance, like the takeaway between the male and or female or male and male or female and female or however you deliver that romance has to make sense only to the people on the screen and leave the viewing audience in a bit of a position of envy. And if you can get that, then you have suspended the disbelief and you haven't jumped the shark in so far as like, yeah, there's no way. You're pulling for them. And I find myself with every bit of my movie-going soul Mm -hmm. saying, my God, I hope that Ben and Elaine made it. And I'm pretty sure if I had 50 bucks and it was either they're going to make it or they didn't, 
I'd put it on the side of the good. Yeah. So I think now, time more than ever, Matt, how would you rate The Graduate? And a quick review. Our ratings for this, all built around bourbon and liquor. We have Rockcut, we have Well, we have Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you at on this one? I think this is pretty obvious, yeah. right? I mean, Single Barrel, and so far as it's the seminal moment, but Top Shelf in that, if it's unique and strategically and subtly as well made as this yeah it's one of the in the all i say this all the we all the time yeah top 10 ever mm-hmm. i don't know if it's top five um but on the on any given day it yeah. certainly could be and as of right now it probably in this moment it probably mm-hmm. is it's an immaculate film yeah there's not a moment in the movie that is I just got to get through this to get through the next scene. Yeah, you don't feel that. Dustin Hoffman is at the height of his power. Mm-hmm. Catherine at Ross the, is... And at the beginning of his power, too, with all honesty. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. The supporting characters are terrific. Mm-hmm. And Bancroft, you know, before this movie, the only thing I'd ever seen her in is Don't Bother to Knock, mm-hmm. which is a really strange Marilyn Monroe film where yep. she's a villain. Richard Woodmark. Yeah, Richard Woodmark, too, mm-hmm. right? Which tries to throw a little girl out the window. Yep. Yeah, it, it's 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 perfect filmmaking. Yeah, it's seminal film. Mm-hmm. Yes, and for everything that everybody has said for the years, so I thought, man, do we want to do this movie because it's a little bit on the nose? Sure. Yeah. How can you not? Yeah, and I think perfect. Like, like I don't know how this timed out perfectly, but mid mid May when everyone's graduating, what what a perfect time to talk about it too. I think saying that you and I breathe oxygen yeah. is also on the nose. Yeah. But it's also essential. Exactly. This is that. This is oxygen in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's the counterculture, the anti-hero done in a way yeah. that every other film will always try to live up to. It's a perfect film. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the best of the best. Yeah. Here on this show, I've only given one top shelf rating, and that was to Ridley Scott's Alien. I think rightly so. Not beaches? Not beaches. We haven't done... Uh, we we will never do beaches. I'm just saying that right now. Okay. I couldn't sit through that. No. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm clocking in at top shelf. And I say this lightly too, like, or I don't say this lightly, but you know, like there's a lot of films that we've talked about on this podcast, whether that be Alien or Unbreakable or Avengers Endgame or Carrie. Serenity. Oh yeah, Serenity. Uh, some films aren't for everybody. Like if if there's a chance that you never saw Alien, then you'll probably be 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 okay and this and that, and you can go on your film viewing experience. Same with Avengers Endgame, as big of a movie that is. If you never saw it, like there's no skin off your back. With The Graduate, like The Graduate's such a seminal piece of filmmaking and has such a place in film history. Like, look, Matt, seven hundred eighty nine million dollars domestically adjusted for inflation. Like if this film's coming out today, it's doing Avengers Endgame type of numbers, which is unheard of yeah for a a romantic comedy of sorts right uh people flocked out in droves to see this i I, honestly i'm just gonna say this right now this is a film that everyone should see at least once agreed because you at least you, you go through transitions in life whether that be graduation marriage having kids going through death this film covers, you know, that transitional difficulty that is a stage in life. Right. I think that's something everyone can relate to and how everyone kind of deals with that differently. Look, this film's on Netflix right now. You have a chance to watch it if you subscribe to that to that streaming site. This is a must-see film. 
expertly directed, expertly acted. The some great use by Simon and Garfunkel. That their music just brings. It's just the it's the it's the glue that just gels this whole thing together. And yeah, I don't think I don't think you'll be disappointed. This is one of like the five films that I saw in Matt's class. Oh, maybe we'll get into some of the other ones as as we progress on this podcast journey. This is one of the five films that changed my life. It helped me realize, man, I'd love to make movies one day. I'd love to write something because it made me look at films differently. Would and, you love someday to talk about them? Yeah, would love that. Huh. To that then. Yeah. To talking about Yeah, them. to talking about that. So the impact of The Graduate on my life at the time I saw it is it's made me who I am. And would I ever give up who I am? Absolutely goddamn not. No. So right. No, this film is definitely on my top shelf. It's right up there with Alien. It belongs up there with Alien. You guys need to see it if you haven't seen it. Please, Please see this film. Please do so. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, let's let's wrap up here. We'll end with a little nightcap. So speaking on Simon and Garfunkel, you know, they've had such an amazing, you know, impact on this film with their music, some previously used and then written for the film, Mrs. Robinson. Uh so there's been a lot of great soundtracks for for films. Matt, what do you think is the best soundtrack that's ever been put onto a film? This was a really fun one to explore because mm-hmm. Purple Rain came up, uh, High Fidelity came up. Um, y- you know, you, you look at like the different movie soundtracks that are from films I like, and there's no shortage of entries into this. I'm not saying I like. Mm-hmm. You know, Purple Rain, that was a terrible movie, but that soundtrack's unbelievable. <clears throat> mm-hmm. This was tough, so I'm going to give it this. And it may change tomorrow, but today in this space sitting here with you, mm-hmm. the answer to that is singles. As a proud member of Gen X, I have to say that there was nothing that did a better job of defining that stage in my life with those people with the heroin chic, lots of feedback, post-glam rock, pre-hip-hop era that became grunge mm-hmm. that was singles. Yeah. It's weird now because you look at that and you look at like what's left of the grunge movement and essentially it's Dave Roll. And that goes from Cameron Crowe to Campbell Scott to Alice in Chains mm-hmm. to whatever's left of the next iteration of Pearl Jam that's trying to hang on. And God bless Eddie Vedder. Yeah. At that time, when that movie came out, I was working at a video uh, rental store. Yeah. And we couldn't keep that movie or that soundtrack on the shelves. Mm. And we would have like the pick for the employee to play whatever soundtrack or whatever album they want twice a week. Yeah. Dude, it was singles for like three months. (laughs) Paul Westerberg, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam... Temple of the Dog. We could go on and on and on and on. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's high fidelity's close. Yeah, and and Purple Rain is close. Mm-hmm. But today, it's singles. It's for me, it's singles. That's great, and it's a soundtrack certainly of its time. But what a what a great time too for for both music and film. Yeah, like, I think they were going in two very interesting movements that have really stood the test of time and they've like introduced the world to so many great talents. We talked about that like 65 to 75 that 10 year run that we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. This is my second favorite period like 9 like 89 to about 96. Yeah. 
That's my second favorite period. Yeah, Soderbergh, Kevin Smith. Yeah, like the emergence of David Fincher. Right. Like it's 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 a it's a great era. That's a good pick. That's yeah. a good pick. Thank you. I got two, and that kind of tied. I, the guilty pleasure, you know me, like I I kind of dig disco. I feel like you're trying to set me up for another beaches story here, aren't <laughs> oh, <shit>. you? <laughs> no, like 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 I kind of have a guilty pleasure for disco music. So oh, yeah. if I'm talking about that, how could I not go with Saturday Night Fever? It's literally the best thing the Bee Gees have ever put out. Of course with, it is. It's brilliant with songs like Staying Night Alive, Fever. Night Fever, uh, More Than a Woman, Von Elliman, and I think the best one, um, You Should Be Dancing. Yeah, I love how it's used in that film. That move, that I don't think that film's a great film, but no. that soundtrack is great. Uh, but a close second, and it's just the use of you know. So is that is that is that your answer? Is it Saturday Night Fever? It's kind of my answer, okay. but I also have to pick, and I love the way Martin Scorsese expertly used music in this film, and it's Goodfellas. Yeah. Whether that be a Rags to Riches or Jump into the Fire by Harry Nilsson, or maybe the best, mo- this might be my favorite montage on film, very Godfather like, but it's like the all the hits, the discovery, and I love the dude in the locker to Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, like it. Martin Scorsese, along with Quentin Tarantino, I would throw James Gunn in there as well with his use in Guardians of the Galaxy, Uh, Cameron Crowe, have a real, know how to use music where it's not just trying to sell a record, but it like helps propel the story. But I think they, they breathe life into songs that people haven't heard, which that's a great service to the music industry. Sure. Tarantino especially. And maybe we'll talk about him one of these days, but... Martin Scorsese's on on full it, like the, the, the those you know those songs that that Dean Martin era of the fifties and the sixties you know with like kind of like that 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 hard, kind of hard rock and I mean the, the the film ends with uh with a cover of My Way by Sid Vicious covering a Frank Sinatra <laughs> Natra tune and it's like this hard rock and that's how the film ends those are the end credits so yeah Martin Scorsese was clicking on all cylinders not only in that film but in the placement of the music so. Yeah, it's it's either one of those. Like the Bee Gees kind of wrote the music for Saturday Night Fever. Scorsese picked these songs to be in that film from all different eras. Yeah, that it's kind of like coming from two different angles of a soundtrack. So yeah, I gotta I gotta pick those ones. Those ones are good. Great choices. Excellent. All right, Matt, why don't you let the listeners know what's coming next week? So I think next week is the final iteration into our cask and love is spelled with an X. And we will go to a film that we had previously spoken, or I'd previously spoken about in this podcast. Um, Look, it's High Fidelity. Mm -hmm. And what I love about High Fidelity is the performance of that film in the way that the characters put in the spots they're supposed to play deliver it in spades. Uh, I can't wait to break this film down with you. Mm -hmm. It's everything that Say Anything never got to be for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's like on my list of top overrated films of all time. That <laughs> might be like number one. Yes. Behind Blade Runner. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe not. Let's pump those brakes. <laughs> we, uh, we have to do Blade Runner. We will, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The pretend film noir that's not at all. Oh, anyway. Don't even start. <laughs> Maybe we can do Captain Marvel after that one, too. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, high fidelity. Um, Excellent. Yeah, I haven't seen it, and it's it's been years. So yeah, I'm excited to revisit this one. We'll close this final cask, and yeah, me, Matt, and I have been talking about you know what's going to get you through June and July and into August, and 
you as listeners have a pretty badass summer lined up for you. So yeah, cheers to that. So cheers to that. Cheers to the listeners. Thank you for getting us this far. You know, you know, Matt and I came from these, you know, we kind of bonded over film and now we're getting, we're talking about on these podcasts. People are listening to it all over the world, which is remarkable to say the least. Indeed. And yeah, we can't wait to, to, to keep this train churning. So we'll raise one, one more up. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. So I think at this point, I'm going to go ahead and set up our business with uh, some endeavors into plastics. What do you think? Excellent. I think I might go submerge myself in a swimming pool in my scuba gear. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully we find happiness in any of that wakes of life. And cheers to Mrs. Robinson. Uh, I hope you found the happiness too eventually. Indeed. And to everybody out there, may you find your happiness as well. Excellent. We'll see you next week. Everybody, we'll see you in the dark. Take care. Thank you for listening. Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn, and leave us an email at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. The Graduate is property of Embassy Pictures, United Artists, Mike Nichols slash Lawrence Terman Productions, and MGM Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. I don't think so. Beep, 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 beep.